Acts of kindness have a way of sticking with us. And I think if I asked any of you, um, you could probably come up with a list. And, and probably once you started thinking of one or two or three of them, you'd probably be able to add four or five or six and just kind of go down the list and add more and more things. We tend to remember uh, things that are done for us when it comes to kindness. And I, I think that's actually by God's design. I think kindness is actually hardwired into our brain. I'll get into that in just a minute. But I think it's, it's how God built us to react and, and operate on kindness. And things have just gotten out of whack. At large, I, I believe the church at large, all across the country, even in some parts of the other parts of the Western world, has a problem with our with our reputation because we've kind of lost our kindness. We've we've gotten caught up in in you know fighting for what we think is right and fighting for um, the things that we think is, you know culture should have in it that that are reflected in Christianity and and a lot of that stuff that's been going on. And as a result of fighting for things to be the way we think they should be, we've actually ended up, I believe, fighting against our testimony as Christians. Um, and a lot of that comes from, from this quote that's probably been so used that it's cheesy by now, but it's still, it's still a good truth for this topic. William J. Toms said, Be careful how you live. You may be the only Bible some person ever reads. You may be the only Bible some person reads, and when I when you think about that, say, okay, well that that's good. But then when you think about the Bible that some people are living, then you start to think, oh, maybe that's not so good. Maybe that's concerning. Maybe we should be concerned with the Bible that some people are living and the Bible that non-believers are reading as a result of this of this Bible that's being projected, and so. A big part for us of, of being 6-8 Church hinges on kindness. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. That word mercy is often translated kindness. That's uh, the same word gets translated as mercy, compassion, and kindness all throughout Scripture, especially in the Old Testament. And in fact, one, one, of, the most, one of the most notorious statements about God, as, I, as you read through the Psalms, you'll see this over and over again, and we're going to get to this in just a little bit with Jonah, but, but it'll, it'll be, is the phrase that you are a gracious and compassionate God, or a merciful and compassionate God sometimes, doubling up on the word because God is so compassionate. So it's a huge part of God's nature. It's a huge part of Jesus' nature. And as a result, it's supposed to be a huge part of our nature in the church. We're supposed to be living out this kindness and compassion that we've been shown to the world around us. Now, before we get into the scripture, you can open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18 if you want to get ready. I want to look at just a couple of, of, of scientific um, supports for this idea of ki- kindness and compassion. So the problem is the situation we're, we're trying to address is the lack of kindness and compassion in the church. 
I don't believe that exists in our church. I don't think that's ever existed in our church. I think we have always been a church that acts and reacts very kindly and compassionately and lives that out um, consistently. So I think that's a good thing for us. But I think we have a lot of work we can do to help the church at large by uh, our extended community and our relationships with believers outside of the church. So being kind actually has an effect on your brain. So they've done studies, and what they've seen is that kindness lights up the pleasure center of the brain and releases serotonin and oxytocin. Does anyone know what those two chemicals do? So what does serotonin do? That's melatonin, is what helps you sleep. Serotonin is, is your, has to do with your mood, your happiness, overall feelings of well-being. So if you're happy, um, if you're laughing, for, for instance, serotonin is one of the things that's flooding through your brain. You're just getting lots and lots of serotonin when you're, when you're laughing. So kindness releases serotonin in your brain. And oxytocin, what does oxytocin do? Yeah. Yeah, it's the bonding. Some people call it the cuddle hormone, but it's a bonding hormone that's supposed to, to uh, build interactions between people and create a deeper relationship. It's what triggers the bond between a mother and an infant, and there's a lot more than that. Um, but it's, it's a very important chemical. It's an important chemical for us here as a church. Oxytocin gets released in our brains when we're sitting around those tables in there talking and eating together. Sharing a meal with someone is a big way that oxytocin gets released in your brain. So that's a really good thing. Um, so the release of the hormone oxytocin is tied to decreasing blood pressure and reducing inflammation. So the release of these chemicals is not just good for how we feel, but it's actually good for our physical well-being as well. Now, uh, we've got a video that I want us to watch. This is a video, uh, some of you have probably seen it, pretty popular video. It was a viral video a while ago. I think it was in South Korea. Is that right, Henry? Do you remember? Um, uh, somewhere, somewhere in an uh, East Asian country. But let's just watch the video, and then I want to tell you a little bit about the study that's been done with this video. <laughs> so, what are you feeling after watching that? Weepy. Weepy. Hopeful? Depressed. Depressed? I think you missed the point of the video then. Yeah, it's inspiring. Well, this video has been studied. It's got hundreds of millions of views, and so they've done a study based on people watching this video. And people who viewed this video in this research study um, after, after watching the video, they gave 25% more to charity than those who saw an athletic stunt video in the same study. So they gave 25% more. Uh, those surveyed online also got the chance to show their propensity for con- 
contagious kindness, con- contagious kindness, each was asked a hypothetical question. If your employer were to match donations to a worthy cause, how would you be inclined to give? Those who viewed the Unsung Hero video were significantly more likely to commit to charitable giving. 67% said they would donate to charities if backed by their companies. For people who only saw the parkour video, only 47% answered the same way. So it was almost twice as many people uh, who, who were likely to give to charitable giving. I didn't really think this through. We should have, played, we should have taken an offering <laughs> right after the video, I guess. Um, but it's, uh, kindness has been studied in a lot of different ways. It doesn't have as much research as gratitude uh, that we talked about last week. But uh, they have found a link between witnessing an act of kindness and then people doing an act of kindness. So if you see somebody do something kind for someone else, you are really likely then to want to go do something kind for another person entirely. It's got this contagious effect in our brain, which I believe is how God wired it to work. Um, when science starts to study things like gratitude and, uh, and kindness and, and love and all of those things, I, I, every, it never ceases to amaze me how it lines up with what Scripture teaches about all of these different things because they're just starting to uncover and discover what God designed all along. And we, we've been able to, to believe it by faith, but science has never still, to this day, contradicted Scripture um, it only reinforces it when people are using true, uh, true science to make their discoveries. Let's look at Scripture now. Let's look at Matthew chapter 18. I've got a lot of other verses uh, that I also want to try to squeeze in, but that will depend on time. Matthew chapter 18 is a big one, and it has a lot to do with, with, uh, with how we're supposed to be. As, as people that are part of God's kingdom. So we've been brought out of darkness and into the light. We've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And when we were brought into God's kingdom of light, we, we, we not only received salvation to set us free from the law of sin and death that was going to, to lead us to destruction, but we also received the spirit that empowers us to live a new kind of Christ-like life. And so when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, he's talking about us, how we're supposed to be living as a result of receiving God's gift of salvation, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, and being a part of the church, being the hands and feet of Jesus here on earth, the actual body of Christ. So that's one reason this is important. So let's look at this parable that Jesus uses to teach. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. 
As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll I'll pay it back. Just give me some time, I promise I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger... His master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Then Jesus says, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So, uh, does anyone have the title of this parable in your Bible? The unforgiving debtor, what does someone else have? Unforgiving servant? Unmerciful servant? What do you have, Jim? Yeah, that's what I have. Now, so this is, this is a classic teaching on forgiveness. It's also a teaching on mercy and showing mercy. What is Mercy. So that would be grace. So grace is getting what you don't deserve. Not getting what, not getting what you do deserve. So they're the, they're the uh, flip-flops. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. So we don't deserve God's gift of grace through Jesus Christ. There's nothing we could do to deserve it. So God gives it to us out of his good character and nature. It's who he is. He's a giving, generous God. So he gives us that even though we could do nothing to earn it. And as a result of Jesus... His death on the cross, paying the price for our sins and standing in our place, we are now shown mercy. We don't get what we do deserve. We don't get the punishment we deserve, which is which would be the wrath of God, eternal separation from God, eternal isolation, and and being on our own because God shows us mercy, shows us a great kindness. Now, um, I've, I've gone over this parable quite a few times. It's a really important one that ties in 
with prayer, uh, because when, we're, when you're studying the Lord's Prayer, Jesus also brings up this idea that if you don't forgive, then you won't be, your Heavenly Father won't forgive you. So forgiving others is an important part of our own forgiveness. And so you can read the Lord's Prayer if you want to go uh, check some, go see a little bit more on that. But uh, I, I've studied this, and so I was trying to do the math to try to figure out um, just how much this man owed. So um, here's, here's where I, what I found out. So we don't realize it, but, but this is a great debt, and we also have a great debt against God. Right? We took God's generous gift that he gave us in paradise back in the Garden of Eden, and then we spat in his face, told him where he could go, and that we're in charge now. We don't need him or any of his assistants. We took the good, good life and good gift that God gave us in the garden, and then we said, no, we're good, we're God, we don't need you to be God for us. We rebelled against God and went our own way. As the psalmist and as Paul quotes, no one is righteous, not even one. But for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are this servant who owed 10,000 bags of gold. Or 10,000 talents. Now a bag of gold might be, might be considered um, a year's wages, although it's probably more than a year's wages, depending on which commentator you look at. Some commentators would say it's a lifetime's savings. Um, so it's kind of hard to put an exact number on it, but it's fun to try to put a number on it. So uh, here's... Here's what I've come up with based on the research that I've done. So it would take approximately 200,000 years to pay back a debt of 10,000 bags of gold if you're going to debtor's prison. Now let me, let me explain where I got that number. According to Indeed... The average annual salary in 2019 was $51,168. So in America, the average annual salary for 2019 was just, just over 51000 So that amount, if you earned that amount, if, that's, if this is based on, on uh, an annual salary, it would take uh, that amount for 200,000 years is $10 billion. $233,600,000. With inflation, it gets a little more complicated than that. It's hard to really do. It's actually trillions of dollars, if not Google. Does anyone know what Google is in math? One by Yeah. So it's one, it is, it is 10 to the 100th power. That's what a Google, G-O-O-G-O-L, is. In other words, this is a debt that cannot be repaid. So it took me a while to figure out this math, so I had to actually ask my brother, who's uh, an AP math teacher, to help me calculate it. I said, what would this be with inflation? I said, if inflation is 3% every year, uh, then, then what would this number be 
with inflation. Because you'd have to, you're not just calculating the 51,000 over 200 years, you're also adding in the price of inflation, 3% over 200,000 years. So your 51,000 becomes uh, what? 53,000. And then you're adding another 3% every year. So, so you're trying, you have to try to figure out, so what does this mean then with inflation? So I had my brother help me with the math. And, uh, and I, was looking at this, I was looking at this calculator online to try to come up with the number. And the answers that I got from this online calculator when I put in the numbers were too large a number to calculate. It's literally what it said. It's how it responded. And then I tried it again. It said, please enter a smaller number. And then my favorite was, the answer is 1.03 to the 200,000th power, which equals, according to the calculator, infinity. That's what the calculator said. Infinity. That's the number. If you take, if you take it, the 51,000, add, in, add inflation to it, times 200,000, that's what you get, is you get infinity, an ever-growing number that cannot be repaid. And in case you didn't know, if you multiply $51,168, your annual, annual salary, by infinity, what number do you get? Infinity, right? It's always infinity if you multiply by infinity. So here we have this servant who's thrown into prison because he had some massive business venture that went horribly, horribly wrong. And he owed the master thousands and thousands and thousands of bags of gold. It's a debt that he could not, could not repay. And he, and he begs the master for mercy to not, to not give him what he deserves. And the master says, your debts are canceled. You can go free. This amount, according to the parable, is, is what we owe God. This is how, how offensive our sins are to God. When, when we have rebelled against God, when we've tried to be our own gods, when we've trusted in other gods, when we've done things and puffed ourselves up with pride, we have, re- we have created and stacked up this, this same kind of a debt against God. 10,000 bags of gold. 1.03 to the 200,000th power of debt that we owe God. And yet when we ask God for forgiveness, he shows us mercy. He doesn't give us what our sins deserve. Which Paul says oftentimes, God does not treat us as our sins deserve. So we should be incredibly thankful. So now we as followers of Jesus Christ are supposed to look at the story and say, okay, I've been shown this incredible act of mercy. Now when I'm interacting with people in the world around me, I'm supposed to respond with the same kind of mercy that I have been shown. This is, this is what life is like in the kingdom of heaven. When we're living in God's kingdom, we are driven by entirely different motives. We're not driven by personal profit or personal gain. We're driven by the, the, the gains of the kingdom. And the kingdom economy is built on grace and, com- and compassion and mercy and forgiveness and kindness and unconditional love. And these, these are the currencies that we work in as followers of 
followers of Christ. There are a whole lot of other verses that talk specifically about just kindness. One is Jesus, Luke chapter 6, verse 35. Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. So when we're showing kind to our, kindness to our enemies, doing good to our enemies, lending to our enemies without expecting anything in return, this is when we are, according to Jesus, children of the Most High. This is one of the things that establishes that we are God's children. The verse where we get our phrase, to live a life that shines, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, illustrates this quite well. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt becomes tasteless, tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. A lot of people have wrestled over what these verses are talking about to become tasteless. When you're salt, when you're supposed to be the salt of the earth and you become tasteless, then your, your purpose no longer exists and there's not a, a, a consensus on exactly what, it, what Jesus is talking about. But I have a theory. Could it possibly be that he's talking about when we don't have compassion and kindness and mercy? Based on what he says next, he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. But up on the lampstand... And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works or see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus, when he's talking here, he's, he's saying that the way that our light shines is by the good works and the good deeds that we do. And certainly a part of that is piety, right, and living righteous, holy lives. That's definitely a part of it when we're, when we're living according to God's kingdom standards of holiness, but, but also a part of that is the good deeds that we do to those outside the church. Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect for everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. It's God's will, he says here in verse 15, that by doing good, we silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. When we are doing the good deeds of the kingdom of God, there's not much to talk about. Paul says we're supposed to clothe ourselves with compassion in Colossians 3, verse 12. 
He also says, as let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So he does make a distinction that we're supposed to especially show good to the family of believers, but we're also supposed to do good to all people. Peter, again, he'll say, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you are called, so that you may inherit a blessing. When, Tim, uh, when Paul is teaching, uh, 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 he says in Titus chapter 3, verse 1, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready, to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, talking about Jesus, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. And the last one I want to go, I want to jump back into the Old Testament and look really quickly at Jonah. Jonah chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. This is after Jonah's been in and out of the belly of the big fish. This is after he was finally reluctantly obedient to go and preach the gospel to the people of Nineveh. And he preaches, and I think it's like 130,000 people respond to the message that Jonah preaches of repentance. And as soon as he, as soon as he finishes this revival that he's leading in, in Nineveh, he goes out and he finds, he finds this bush or this plant to hide under, and he starts complaining to God, and he says, this is, what, this is what I said, Lord, when I was still at home. Isn't this what I said? This is what I tried to, tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. This is what I tried to avoid. This is what I tried to keep from happening by fleeing to Tarshish. Tarshish. He says, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. I've, I've thought about that as a, as a preacher so many times. Can't imagine, I can't imagine preaching and having hundreds of thousands of people respond to the message that I was preaching, and then immediately following that, going out and being upset at God. So I told you that's what you were going to do, God. That's why I didn't do it. That's why I was trying to avoid it. 
But we get so caught up sometimes in our presuppositions about who people are and whether or not they deserve kindness, which is what Jonah was doing. And so we restrain or refrain from showing kindness the way we should. Ralph Waldo Waldo Emerson said, You cannot do a kindness too soon because you never know how soon it will be too late. Cheryl Strayed said, Compassion isn't about solutions. It's about giving all the love you've got. Joseph Jobert said, A part of kindness consists in loving people more than they deserve. Mother Teresa, Spread love everywhere you go. Let no one come to you. Let no one ever come to you without leaving happier. And Abraham Lincoln said, Kindness is the only service that will stand the storm of life and not wash out. It will wear well and will be remembered long after the prism of of politeness or the complexion of courtesy has faded away. So the way that the world is going to experience God's loving kindness is through us as believers. The kindness that we show to people outside the church is the way that people will experience God's loving kindness. We, we are the body of Christ. We are the physical representation of Christ here on earth. We are called the body. We are the family of God. We are, we are a living temple built on the foundation of Christ as the cornerstone and the 12 apostles as the other stones making up the foundation. And we are this living temple that's, that's supposed to live and breathe Christ to the world. And the way that the world will experience God's loving kindness is not just by by. Hopefully they'll acknowledge it at some point in time because they, they, they repent and turn to God, but through us showing them kindness. David Pryor wrote, Justice and kindness are essential qualities of the nature of God himself. Justice and kindness are essential qualities of the nature of God himself. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. Justice and kindness are essential qualities of the nature of God himself. They do not come down from heaven wrapped in parcels. They are expressed in and through people who walk humbly with God. Justice and kindness are expressed in and through people who walk humbly with God. We've received a radical gift of God's grace and God's mercy. He gave us something we could never deserve or earn, and then he didn't treat us as our sins deserve. We've received this incomparable gift that's described so many times through the New Testament. This this gift that's just beyond our ability to comprehend how great it is. And what we're supposed to do is to show mercy to like the, like the merciful servant. If you rewrite the story, that parable of, of the unmerciful servant, if he becomes the merciful servant who's just been shown mercy and not treated and not thrown in prison and his family in prison and everything he had sold and done away with to try to repay the debt, he has his debt canceled out and now he leaves and he goes and he finds the man who owes him some money and he says, 
I forgive you of this debt. You don't have to pay me a dime. And you don't have to pay me because I didn't have to pay him. So I'm let off of that debt, so there's no debt between us either. Because we've been shown great mercy, we go out and we show great mercy. But this is in the context of our, of our series where we're talking about the daily spiritual disciplines that we're supposed to be practicing. We've talked about reading scripture, we've talked about prayer, biblical meditation. Last week we talked about gratitude. And this is the last of the daily disciplines, the last of the daily practices that we're supposed to be practicing as followers of Christ, or at least throughout church history, one of the, the habits that have been practiced daily. So how do we make this a discipline? How do we make this something that we do on a daily basis? Well, let me just list out some ways. We can draw up a list of the people whose services we receive. Teachers, nurses, caretakers, and so on. And next to each one of them, write down any needs that we know that they have. Personal, financial, physical, and so forth. And then pray about it. Listen, what is God calling us to do in response to the kindness they've shown us? We can consider who the outsiders, this is a separate one, who the outsiders and disenfranchised are in our community. And we can choose one of these groups to find out something about them. What do they need? What do they have to offer? What do they have to give? We can pray. And as a part of our prayer time, and I think this is a great practice, ask God to show us chances to be kind and show kindness throughout the course of the day. And we can be kind to people. We can, we can just ask God, who do I need to forgive? And maybe God will bring up some people that we need to forgive and cancel their debt that we feel they owe us. We can think long and deep about God's loving kindness towards us. That's one of the phrases that's used to describe kindness. It's loving kindness. It's a kindness that isn't just, uh, that isn't just doing an act of kindness because you have to, but as Micah 6.8 says, it's to love kindness. To love mercy, we're supposed to be people who love showing mercy or love being compassionate. So we can think and, and, and pray and meditate on God's truth of loving kindness and think of all the ways that he's shown us his kindness, compassion, goodness, and gentleness. We can thank God for his salvation, his grace. And then we can ask God to help us be more like his son Christ in showing those things. And then we can, we can look for opportunities to be kind, to show love to the people in our lives and pray for them that this act of kindness would actually be the light that draws them into the kingdom of God. So that is the daily practice of kindness and compassion, mercy and forgiveness. Anyone have any thoughts before we wrap up that you want to share?